0: With Orgulo, who's going to bring it away, and McCarty in there as well. And the shot and the goal for Orlando on the road. The early breakthrough. The Lions silencing Jonas Park. Apple TV brings you the final goal of Nashville SC's season. Of course, not scored by Nashville SC, but scored in Nashville by Orlando to end the season for the boys in gold. This is a uh, season recap episode of Club and Country, the podcast of record brought to you from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the creator of ClubCountryUSA.com. Nashville's fourth season in Major League Soccer, sixth overall, comes to a close. And Again, both of us were there in the press box at uh, then First Tennessee Park for the uh, exhibition against Atlanta United to start it all off uh, back in, oh my gosh, my years are getting terrible now, 2018. Yes, and uh, here we are, Tim, wrapping a fourth season of Major League Soccer that I think maybe a lot of our listeners would say is at this point, at least maybe the low point in the club's history fair. Yeah. I don't know about low
1: point in the club's history. I guess if you're saying each point is a season, this is probably the most disappointing season in the club's history. So if that's how you're defining point, uh, I I guess so. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we kind of over the course of a season say, okay, well, you can't really, you know, get too up and down over the, over the individual matches, over kind of the trends within a season. But once the season is complete, I think we have a chance to step back and look at it in its totality and say, uh, you'd have a hard time being super excited about a whole lot other than the League's Cup run. Yes, this team started strong, but um, starting strong is only, yeah I don't know, two-thirds of the season, whatever it was. Uh, you need to go from beginning to end. And um, if you have a disappointing regular season, you need to make up for it with postseason
0: play. And that I, I don't think a whole lot of people would claim that Nashville did that. Yeah, Nashville shut out in six of its final seven matches, including its final three and including, of course, both playoff setbacks. Today, we'll we'll first talk a bit about that Orlando loss, but recognize that at this point, many of you have moved on beyond that. And we want to talk more about the season in larger perspective, how it compares with other campaigns, what went wrong. We'll uh, assign some blame here, try to apportion that out a little bit so that we can give our take as to... You know where where the onus falls to get better, and then what's next? Uh, what needs to be upgraded? Do there need to be changes uh, to the technical staff and the front office? Um, that that kind of of stuff, and uh, then we'll look ahead to year five just briefly because I think you could make an argument that it's going to be the toughest season yet for Nashville SC with a CCC coming. The formerly known CCL. Can we just keep calling it CCL? I know on extra time, they always are correcting yeah. themselves. I'm just going to keep calling it CCL. <laughs> hey, let's think of a better... CCC just sounds... I don't know what it sounds like. Um, it reminds me of the FCC, honestly. Either FC Cincinnati or the Federal Communications Convi- uh, Commission. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll just call it CONCACAF, maybe. Uh, or Nashville's future trophy. Um, yeah, we can mm-hmm. we can call it a number of things. Uh, but Tim, before we get into all that, uh much happier note. Of course, M.L. Rose, the sponsor of the show. I had the privilege of taking some colleagues to M.L. Rose. It was their first meal in town from Finland as they traveled Mm -hmm. in. And we were traveling throughout Nashville, Chattanooga and uh, parts unknown for a video shoot. And uh, let me tell you, I was really proud that M.L. Rose gave an accurate representation of what it stands for and what the best of American um, bar cuisine can stand for. It was great. Yeah, and when you uh, when you tweeted and, and tagged uh,
1: me, and I, I retweeted it as I always do to support our, our friends at ML Rose. She said, "When your when your coworkers are in town from Finland, you take them to ML Rose." I, I almost replied, "Yes, I always do this when my coworkers <laughs> are in town from Finland. I'm constantly doing that. Every time they're in town from Finland, I do that." But yeah, I'm I'm really glad. Uh, I hope that your your Finnish colleagues uh, listen to this show. If they're interested in Nashville, SC, and if they aren't interested in Nashville, SC, I hope they listen to it anyway. But I really hope that we set the bar high for them because it certainly sounds like ML Rose
0: uh, hit that bar for sure. Well, and you better believe I was sitting there saying, "Hey, these guys sponsor my podcast. I'm really proud of this." And so <laughs> we got at least one additional. I don't know if he subscribed or just flagged it from uh, from a friend. Konsta is his name. He lives in Tampere, Finland, and he's a big Spurs fan. And I, even even though he's a Spurs supporter, I still let him listen uh, and let him find it. So, uh, but but yeah, I think most of them ended up with with great local beers. Those who drank a couple got non-alcoholic beer options that again, are an option if you're not feeling it or, or you don't drink. Uh, most got burgers, love the burgers. Uh, I think I saw there's some nachos on the table perhaps. And the biggest hit was the Nashville hot cheese curds because we had some vegetarians in the group who still wanted to experience the idea of Nashville hot chicken and that seasoning. Have you had those yet? By the way, they're so good. They give a great representation. Oh, uh, I have not. Um, I feel like hot chicken is for tourists.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Maybe. Unless you go to a couple restaurants in town or unless you try the spices at Rose, Like the the hot cheese curds are, are legit. They're they're yeah. legit. They yeah. capture the spice very well.
1: Good. That's good. Uh I'll have to give them a try like a, you know, I I try to uh avoid kind of the, what I think of as like stunt foods, unless I have people in town. So um it, I definitely trust that ML Rose is doing it very well. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to take your word for it and then uh, go, go check it out for myself. ASAP.
0: 8th Avenue, Capitol View, uh, Mount Juliet. And uh, which one am I? Which one am I leaving? Oh, of course, West Nashville—the best, and most important the one. The most important <laughs> one. How can I do that? That's the one I always go to. Uh, also, Franklin on the way, East Nashville on the way. ML Rose, not just for soccer season. Our slogan, not theirs, but it's true. Uh, let's get to what happened against Orlando, Tim. Nashville SC, of course, uh, two one-nil defeats. We talked about the road defeat last time out. Nashville comes home, gives up a sixth-minute goal. And once that happened, for me at least, it always felt unlikely that they were going to climb yeah. back in. It's, it's one goal, but it just kind of seemed like the the general ethos was, here we go again.
1: Yeah, it felt like that throughout a lot of the the back half of the season, unfortunately. Um, and there were times that, that Nashville SC, especially in Leagues Cup, but also in the regular season, kind of uh, betrayed the, those uh, grim expectations a little bit. But uh, at the same time, when you saw it happen to Orlando, um basically three times in the last several games you had a regular season match and then the first match of the playoffs in the second match of the playoffs you were kind of like okay this is this is not a team that's built to make a comeback this is an orlando team that is designed to hold a lead in a lot of ways this nashville sc team gets a bad rep for being completely defensive all the time um the, at the end of this year it is being deserved a lot of the time but it it almost felt like toward the end of this year the the usl days when they really didn't have a lot of firepower they were they're kind of saving their their uh their owner's budget for for major league soccer play and um, again i think they have done better in in acquiring offensive talent obviously honey muktar is is the uh, keystone piece there and and remains so but when you looked at the usl days you if they went down one zero you were saying okay this is this is just not going to happen for us. And I think this season uh, Orlando was, was our Pittsburgh river hounds as it were, <laughs> maybe indie 11 where <laughs> y- if you go down to those guys, they are just going to sit on you and not allow you the, the avenues through which you are used to scoring a goal. And for Nashville this season, it's get honey Mukhtar in a bunch of space between uh, the midfielders and the back line and let him run at them. And Orlando is really good at preventing that from happening. And, and there wasn't enough of a complimentary, uh, Kind of productive uh, aspect to Nashville's team to to do anything other than hope that they would have that opportunity.
0: Bob Lilly to Orlando if Preja leaves. <laughs> Continue the Riverhounds uh, deal. Yeah, two come from behind wins all year for nashville and they were both in may charlotte on the road with Hani's late penalty and then the three one went over columbus that i think many could fairly point to as as the highlight of the season one of the best wins of the year but again that was on may 28th and uh, after that once nashville went down they would at least draw and they did they did equalize uh, from behind some but they never came back and uh, and one of course a draw could have been good enough uh, to take things to penalty kicks but it was not to be. And I think that is, Tim, the biggest disappointment uh, that I have in this team. Not just, Mm -hmm. you know, recently, but all season was, was this particular performance was listless after going behind in a game they had to have. 0.37 expected goals. 10 total shots. Four on target, not quite as bad, but 10 total shots when you're trailing for the vast majority of the match is just not enough. It's not good enough. And, and, you know, I I am never one to to boo my own team. Uh, so any supporters who were doing that, I just can't get behind that no matter what, not my thing. Philosophically, you may differ, but a, um, a figurative booing or, or having deep disappointment, <laughs> a spirit, a spiritual, a boo. spiritual booing, a, a, a shake of the head. Spooky a, season is over, but I yeah, guess we can talk the, about that. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. Why? What, what happened here, Tim? Is this just a team that was just tired mentally, uh, physically? Because, for me, veteran bodies can get tired. Yeah. Yes. And and Leagues Cup was a grind and the season was an absolute grind, but there were plenty of days between matches here in the playoffs. And this is a group that at least mentally should have been sharp, given the veteran presence that's supposed to be never too high, never too low.
1: Yeah. I, I tweeted either uh, in the very late stages of the game or in its immediate aftermath that it just didn't seem like as, as they Approached the final whistle, they even really cared to try to make the comeback. It kind of reminded me of, of some of those late Bob Bradley or the or the I believe the first Steve Trundle team or was it last year the first year uh, at LAFC where they were kind of like, in the playoffs they're like, man, we don't care if it's time to go golfing, we're ready for golf season. And I don't think that Nashville SC has been a club that has ever really suffered from players going out and kind of going through the motions. Uh, and and I. Th- think they would strongly disagree. They'll probably, I'll probably hear from somebody. Somebody's going to call and yell at me for saying this, but it really felt like they were going through the motions in the second half of that match. And um, it's a situation where since it hasn't happened before, I wouldn't worry about it kind of becoming part of the DNA of this club, but it's really disappointing when you look at it at a single match. I was kind of saying like, look, it doesn't matter if you take a terrible shot, it's better than not taking a shot at all. And you are not putting a ton on the, the frame. You're not putting a ton into the box. And for the way this team is structured, honestly, um, I'll be the first to say kind of lumping crosses into the box is is terrible offense. It's not a great way to generate a ton of offense. But for this Nashville City team, it is a way that they have been able to kind of overcome some of their attacking shortcomings over the years. And they were even then kind of just if we find a crossing, a great crossing opportunity, we'll do it. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of mess around on the wing and then see what happens and see if we can recycle the ball around and kind of engage in the horseshoe of death. It didn't feel like there was any urgency, and when there's explicitly the most urgent you can possibly be, unless you score a goal, your season is over. That was really disappointing to me.
0: Eight accurate crosses all game. Not not even really sending those in. Two points that I want to make: a point and a and a question. Then number one, I think we can we can say accurately that you know these veterans are not just going to walk on the pitch and totally give up, but that. In a game that requires 100% of your mental and physical sharpness, even playing at 90% can look like you're giving up. Can, can you know if, if this team just wasn't at its sharpest? If fatigue, if if lack of motivation seeped in, it doesn't have to be a cognitive thing. I don't think that a team with Dax McCarty and Walker Zimmerman and Hani Mukhtar on it is huddling secretly in the corner and saying. We just don't have it this year. Let's throw it in. <laughs> and, and certainly yeah. I don't think you're insinuating that. And I and I'm not either. Mm-hmm. But even certainly if you're not at, a conscious decision. No. No, yeah. but but I think subconsciously, you know, if you're at 85 or 90 percent of your usual, then it could look like you were being vastly outmatched and outplayed and out hustled. And Nashville was. Nashville absolutely was, and, and I think outcoached as well. Um, the other question I want to have though, to throw it back to you is this: often when we see a team lacking in motivation, you point to the coaching staff, you would point and say they've lost the team. You know, they just, they don't have it. Their words aren't working. Their tactics aren't working. Would you go that far? Would you say that Gary Smith, even to some extent lost this group, or was it more a function of guys just being burnt?
1: It's the coach's job to win soccer games and they didn't win enough soccer games. I think Gary Smith would be the first to tell you that. Now as to whether it was because he wasn't adequately motivating the team or something like that, I don't, I can't speak to that. I'm not in that locker room. Um, like you know, you just kind of went on a little, uh, not rant, but a little explanatory <laughs> a little paragraph about. I think they were not emotionally unmotivated. They just didn't have it. Can that be the fault of the of the technical staff of the head coach? Certainly, but regardless of of exactly why it happens. The head coach is the most individually responsible person for a team coming out and putting up good performances other than Hani Mukhtar, of course. But but it is a situation where that's his job. And if he didn't do a good job on the day, he didn't do a good job on the day. I don't think that that kind of dams the entire body of work. Um, I don't think that the entire body of work for this season was a hit, uh, Gary Smith's best either. But I don't think even if you if you say on this on this evening, on this two game series, he didn't put in his his, you know, number one effort or number one coaching job. um, That can be accurate without saying that it was not a that it was, um you know, not primarily his fault overall.
0: Yeah, I'll put the lack of motivation on the players as much as anything at this level. You know, I think high school or college players would need perhaps some some. External motivation at this point, it should be yeah. intrinsic. You
1: need a Matt Rule out there. Did you see
0: his speech about oh the, gosh, the yeah. breast cancer thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's beautiful. Oh, it's but, podcasts, let's go. <laughs> and, and dead serious here. And, and Tim's being dead serious. Check it out. It was, it yeah. went, I guess, late October, uh stunning pregame speech from Matt about yeah, it, it just just watch it. It's very good. It's it's very good. Um uh, but I think I I players at this level should be able to be intrinsically motivated. And you yeah. put together a veteran group. Because you know that in tough moments when your backs are against the wall, you can you, that, that experience will shine through in the form of maturity and poise. And too many times this year it didn't. And you had guys making lapses that I felt were pretty uncharacteristic. But the other part of it is they were out of ideas, Tim. They, they seemed genuinely out yeah. of ideas as well. And that I put on the staff without saying that the staff should be let go. And we'll get to that right. question in a bit. For whatever reason, the tactics just weren't reaching, weren't meeting what this team did best or you know, they were too reliant, I think, on Game State and on Nashville being in a good position. And when they got behind, the ideas weren't there.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And and like you said, we'll apportion blame in a second here. But uh the big picture is if you don't win uh, MLS Cup presented by ML Rose, you have not you have not gotten the most out of any individual position. Maybe there's something a general manager can do that improves your your finish. There's something that any individual player can do that improves your finish. There's something that the technical staff can do that improves your performance.
0: Um, nobody is blameless, but nobody is fully to blame either. So let's put some people in, in the positions of accountability and we'll divide it up among four places. And Tim, I guess we can either, we'll do it how you want to do it. We can rank these one to four. We could give out percentages <laughs> broken down through a hundred. We can just, let's just talk about them by category. Let's and, do it. And then right. we can
1: kind of at the end, if we feel like it, <laughs> we like
0: can that. rank them. I like that. So we're going to of course have the four groups here. So players, technical staff, front office and ownership, you know, who, who is to blame for the disappointment of the season, the disappointment in, The playoffs and of course the the disclaimer here that that we're not making this personal we certainly don't encourage you to make it personal we can talk about this objectively without saying that so and so is trash or whatever you know we're not being inflammatory we're trying to break this down objectively here uh, almost a week after the season ended and we'll start with the players tim uh i I guess i'll start uh, you you start to what degree are the players responsible for this and and where did they where, where, where did they go wrong here
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's obviously always going to be responsibility. Like I mentioned that the head coach is responsible for everything. The players are the ones out there actually doing it. And so, you know, you do have this, I don't want to call it a disconnect, but you do have a situation where the coach can't go out there and kick the ball. You know, we've talked about that in past years when it comes to finishing, for example, we say, okay, if they're getting good expected goals numbers, but not finishing the the coach, Gary Smith isn't out there kicking the ball into the net. Uh, It's not a Friday afternoon after their training session, but, but it's, Um, I think when you look at players, I think you can say the attacking front four, three, however, uh, Nashville was lined up on a given day, other than Hani Mukhtar. And and at times, including Hani Mukhtar, they weren't good enough. I think you can look at the midfield specifically connecting to the attack as an issue where you just didn't have smoothness to, to progress the ball into the attack defensively, um, it's hard to really say a ton negative about the defense because the errors were so individually kind of isolated. And we've said that in the past before, too. This is a defensive unit that's always going to be very good. The mistakes are generally going to be one terrible moment, not kind of an accumulation of a lot of stuff and goalkeeping. Um, I think I think both goalkeepers who played this year were very good. Uh, I I would say Joe Willis might have lost a step late in the year, but that's something that you saw out of some of his fellow uh, aged members of this team, uh, as we have to give the caveat that they're all younger than us. But but I think it is a situation where um, if you ask Joe Willis, are you to blame for the way the season went poorly? He would say yes, because I could have kept any individual goal out and it probably would have uh, won us or at least drawn us another game. So that's something that I think, every every player is going to go out there and say i didn't do enough i think it's it's very clear that the attacking players would uh would be pretty uh, self-effacing and say we are the most to blame for this we didn't put enough goals into the back of the net
0: and uh, spoiler alert here i'm i'm going to give the um plurality of the blame to uh, to the players on this mm-hmm. not all the blame but but i think a, a small a, a small number one ranking here. A couple stats. I got a tweak
1: to it at the end.
0: Okay. So oh, intrigued. Let's keep, keep riding, keep riding, keep Stay riding. Tuned, folks uh folks. You no, I think a couple stats illustrate this. Nashville was last in the Eastern conference at shot on target percentage. And you might imagine they weren't exactly first in shots taken. So shot on target percentage, of course, the, the percentage of your total shots that found the frame. Uh, Nashville ranked pretty low in, in that chance creation as well. Uh, seventh lowest actually in major league soccer. And so you're looking at a group that, number one, wasn't generating the ideas or the chances. But when they did, they weren't putting the ball on target and testing the keeper. And uh, you can you can be poor in one of those things and survive. If you have just a ton of chances created and therefore a lot of shots resulting from that, then obviously you can have a lower percentage and still be fine. Nashville didn't. And of course, you know, you can have low percentage opportunities and still you know, score a lot of goals if you're precise. Nashville wasn't precise, but they also didn't have the volume of attacking chances. And that's really disappointing, but also embodied by that, especially first playoff game, Mm -hmm. when the best chance Nashville had was a rocket from Hani Mukhtar from um, closer to midfield than it was the penalty area. But you had two misses inside the box that you have to make. And far be it for me to call out, in that case, Sam Surge or Teal Bunbury for one mistake. Because one mistake in a low-variance game is it's going to happen. That's that's okay. But those mistakes kept happening. And, and this team just never found the crispness in front of goal that its defense deserved, actually, I think. I mean, the defense mm-hmm. is the best in Nashville SC history in terms of numbers. And um, it was good enough to have a top-four team if the finish was there. And it wasn't. And that's ultimately on the players who weren't putting enough chances to succeed, but when they were, didn't do it. Yeah. Low trials, high variance, though, Wes. You said it backwards. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. We we'll continue. We we'll continue. Thank you. We're on a Monday morning. We're in Monday morning mode here. Uh, so let's go to the to the technical staff then. We mentioned that uh, that there was high variance. There weren't a ton of chances. Is that on Gary Smith? Is that on Gary Smith in the this, in this staff for a lack of, of tactical answers, especially because this wasn't new? This was an issue we saw in the middle of the season before Leaks Cup even, Why didn't it get fixed? And and is that really a function of the technical staff as much as it is the players?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting in a postmortem. I would love to be in the in the conference room when Gary Smith and in the front office and and even some of the the key players for this team are sitting down and saying, "Okay, here's what we did this year. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work." Because they switched to the that diamond midfield with two up top, and it worked really well for a long time. When it stopped working, they kind of went to a little bit more nebulous midfield, but I was always surprised that they didn't go to what has been basically tried and true for this team, which is the 4-2-3-1. It gives you a little bit more cover from your central midfield, which is an area where, um, you know, talking about blaming the players. If you're putting Dax McCarty as a lone holding midfielder right now, he's going to be able to do a lot of really good things for you. We saw that he was as mistake prone as he has ever been. He also had higher highs than he had last year. I think last year we were disappointed with him. This year, I'm, I'm basically I'm steady on Dax McCarty. But the the point I'm making is that if, if he is consistently making the same sort of mistake, whether it's a, a mishandle, which is, I think, probably the biggest thing that he was doing poorly at times this year, and you don't change something to to provide some help there especially when he is playing as that lone six um in the in the second game against Orlando he was even dropping into that that um uh, kind of center, center back role that we've seen him very occasionally play for Nashville see. it can be Dax McCarty's fault quote unquote that he doesn't make a trap but if it if it happens somewhat consistently and the technical staff doesn't change something whether that's formation whether that's personnel whatever it is to try and sharpen up something that's that's a repeated weakness that can be on the technical staff, even if the player is the one making the visible mistake. And I don't want to pick on Dax because there are a lot of different areas where that was the case. Um, Getting getting space in behind um, other than Sam Surridge late in the year, which is surprising because you'd expect Fafa Pico and Jacob Schaffelberg to continue getting in behind like they had been doing earlier in the year. When that isn't happening, you need to kind of evaluate why you need to say, OK, do we go back to the four-two-three-one and put those guys much wider on the wing and let them kind of find that space in a, in a pocket between the fullback and the center back? There just wasn't a whole lot of adaptation, and that ultimately falls on the technical staff, even if the players are the ones who are uh, kind of necessitating
0: that adaptation by their inability to perform without it. That's fair. I think this team was caught in two minds. It saw some success with the 4-4-2 and really liked the solidity that they got from that. But that's not the best place to employ both Jacob and Fafa on the pitch at the same time, or really even either of them. You can can make some tweaks to it to make it work. But So you bring these two in. Go ahead. You're, mm-hmm. you're
1: Go ahead. To- no, I was just gonna say, I really liked the 4-4-2 when they were having uh one of those guys run off of a striker, even when that striker was Teal Bunbury before Sam Surridge arrived. And then when Surridge arrived,
0: you're saying, Oh, this is gonna be even better. Mm-hmm. And
1: it just never had the same sort of chemistry that it had
0: never really found that answer. Yeah, and I think yeah. those two were brought in to widen the pitch to to you know make it more vertical as well for Nashville by adding those home run threats. So when they couldn't play together, because it maybe wasn't the most advantageous setup to have a solid, you know, midfield. Or, or like you said, when Schaffelberg comes in, Muktar's playing off of him. Or sorry, Surge comes in, and Mukhtar's playing off of him, and so you you can't really employ both of those guys together. I just feel like what they tried to do from a personnel standpoint then wasn't matched with the tactics once they found a tactical solution that briefly worked, and it just mm-hmm. there was never an, a marriage of that. And yeah, a arrival, we forget, guys. I think as as media, but but as fans too, I think fans forget that. The arrival of a new striker can complicate things as much as it resolves things, because it changes a lot of dynamics. Yeah. And yeah. partially, I think some of the underperformance by Sam is due to Sam not making some finishes that I think he'll make next yeah. year. But we've said that before, haven't we? About other yeah. other you know, acquisitions, he's got to prove it. But some of that it was because I think the tactics, as you said, just didn't quite shift, didn't quite adjust to what he was going to bring to the table.
1: Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. And and again, like the entire picture of the season everybody's kind of going to be all, all each individual factor is going to be interrelated in terms of which parties are involved with it but that's one that um the players the players and the technical staff are the ones on the field on on match days and and they're the most visible but i think um you know the front office and ownership
0: which we're about to get into both kind of bear some responsibility for why that ends up happening as well Let's move on to the front office because, of course, that's the group that's putting the players on the pitch in collaboration with the technical staff and, of course, fueled by ownership. And so our next two um, blame categories will be front office and ownership. I think that the big refrain that we heard that maybe we thought late in the season when Nashville was grasping for comebacks was why is Brian Anuga coming in down a goal in the 80th Mm -hmm. minute, you know, as an example, uh, not as the sole focus. The bodies didn't seem to always be there to chase the game when Nashville needed to. Some of that is you've got you've got a fatigued group. <laughs> Some of that is injury when Randall Leal didn't play the majority of the season. But other teams deal with those things too. Other teams also played yeah. in League's Cup, if not as many matches as Nashville. The depth was an issue here, right? I mean, it, that, that comes down to front office, doesn't it? Yeah, to an extent.
1: You mentioned Leal's injury. You didn't even get into Nick DePew's season-ending injury mm-hmm. before the season even started. I think Nashville would have loved to switch to three at the back a lot more than they were able to because they didn't have the horses for it. Obviously they they kind of adapted with what they were able to have at center back. But when you don't have a guy that you were expecting to start next to Walker Zimmerman, I don't think there's any mystery to that. And instead you you have to if walker zimmerman who is who was unavailable for much more of the season than than he had ever been before or jack mayer's not there you have josh bauer who's a guy that you brought in and and barely played last year there's a reason for that and that's not because bauer's a bad player but you need to have higher level players available and if you don't have a great enough volume you can't play the formations that you want to play at the same time Uh, getting surge in as late as as he came in. We talked at the time. We don't know exactly what was behind the delay there, but there was a delay there. Other teams were getting uh, summer window players in much earlier than Nashville was. That prevents surge from getting adapted. Um, I think both of us would say, that we uh, believe Sean Davis is a really good player, a really good Dax McCarty replacement. He can't provide the same sort of offensive punch that either Dax or Anibal Godoy can provide. And he makes up for it in other ways, some of them being, you know, six or seven years younger than Dax or whatever it is. But um, at the same time, it's, it's, I, I, man, it would have been nice to have Jan Gregoosh in the second half of the year, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, totally. that's a guy a guy who can play the defensive midfield position but can connect to the attack. And um, I, I honestly don't know what was behind getting rid of him. I suspect he wanted to be back in Minnesota at, at more than Nashville wanting to get rid of that player for whatever assets they could get for him. But it's a weird situation where you had a player who was – kind of what you were lacking and then you said okay now now he's gone <laughs> and you don't have the midfield depth that you need you don't have a skill set when Dax McCarty isn't either on his game or on the pitch you don't have a skill set that can be replaced by anybody other
0: than Jan Gregoosh by the time he leaves uh yeah I think you're spot on I think I pointed to the front office for some master strokes as well I think you know the Schaffelberg Pico combo is is brilliant when executed mm-hmm. right and both showed flashes of course of that brilliance the the uh, acquisition of Lucas McNaughton was an inspired choice that worked out better, yeah. I think, maybe even than the club expected.
1: Um, yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Not that they didn't think well of, of McNaughton, but for him to challenge Mayer, who had a great first half of the year, and ultimately play ahead of Mayor at times, I think was was brilliant. Uh, I think Surge is a great signing. I still will say use yeah. the word great. I think he fits what this club needs to do. And yeah, I he's think- a dude. I think people are going to be really excited next year when yeah. he comes out and he just kicks ass. Honestly, it sucks that he did not this year, but he's going to next Well, year. and we've seen proof of concept, right? I mean, he didn't yeah. do in the league play, yeah. but he did it in league's cup. So I think I feel better about Surge at this point than I felt about Yonder Cadiz heading into here's, his full year one and certainly Ake Loba. Not that he's guaranteed to score double-digit goals, but I think that can be a fair expectation for him. So I think the front office did a lot right. But I think as you look at the development of this club, where they need to get... Is a level of investment and a level of of uh, you know attention to detail that guy number twenty six on the roster is still somebody you feel confident putting in in a pinch. And right now, I don't think that uh, you look at the bench in the sixty fifth minute, down one nil, and you say, "Not him, not him, not him." I think most of the turnover we'll see on this roster will probably come from guys fifteen through twenty five. If yeah. you and that's, that's necessary. And that requires our last category ownership. But uh, one more point on that from you. Yeah. It's just, uh, I think
1: NSC fans got spoiled with the Jack Mayers and Alistair Johnstons of the world and and possibly the front office did as well thinking we're going to hit home runs out of the college draft in this recent draft didn't do it. And they haven't had the same sort of home run in, in the past couple classes. And that's something that uh, has, has diminished those, you know, Twenty through through twenty eight spots on the roster, whatever it is. Sorry, but continue.
0: No, you're good. Anybody you think could be coming up from Huntsville in the near term to replenish, or that is that still probably another year away?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think guys from
0: like the college draft probably are.
1: I'm really excited. It is it, too bad that he was uh, unable to play for the senior team this year, but I think Ademp Civic is going to be a star. He's not going to be a star immediately, but he's going to be able to provide. Like, I think. Uh, not the old man savvy of Teal Bunbury, but the, the sort of style of play that Teal Bunbury has been able to provide historically. And that's something that if you do that with a homegrown player, you you are really kind of winning the roster game. And then, um, I, I guess that actually is a, a really good segue into ownership. So I'm just going to keep rolling if that's okay with you, but roll on. Own, I think ownership's primary uh blame here is that they kind of had a focus for each of the first four years. And um, obviously COVID really kind of disrupted the first one, but that made the second one. Okay. Our first actual year without weird disruptions is the focus. Uh, year three, opening Geodas Park, the focus. Year four, we are going to add a DP striker. We will not be very secretive about it. That will be the focus. And that, that kind of it was a little too discreet to kind of be adaptable within what was happening kind of on the ground for Nashville SC. And then I think a bit, another part of it is, is the delay in getting the Academy going. And some of that is the fault of the ownership. Some of that is, again, there was a global pandemic. You might've heard about it. Uh, it really made that that difficult for them to pull off. But I think if they had been able to invest in an Academy before um, Nashville SC really got going, and they did have a U12 and U13, I want to say, uh, before Nashville SC ever kicked a ball. But nonetheless, uh, it is a situation where if you'd had a guy who's who's ready to step in as a homegrown guy and, and maybe take a, a a little bit of playing time that is coming instead of coming from your number 20 guy who is on, an on-budget player via the, via the roster rules, getting it from somebody who has zero impact on your budget because he's the 29th or 30th player on your roster um, but by rule, not because he's not making any money, but just by rule, he does not have to count against your roster budget. That's a situation where an early investment could have helped Nashville with the, the later investments that we are kind of failing to see come to fruition right now. And I think that that made life a little bit more difficult on the front office. It provided a little bit less flexibility without having to uh, or without having the ability to use those
0: homegrown spots on on your actual homegrowns instead of trading for homegrown rides around the lake. Yeah, very interesting points there for sure. And I think I can boil it down on my side to one reality, which is that Nashville is not going to have the level of resources in the near term to be able to do everything at once. Uh, you know, we're not going to see a massive DP striker come in at the same time that Nashville's going to right. Argentina and spending 7 million on a, on a dynamite number 8 as well. Uh for instance, as nice as that would be and especially because Nashville's yet to successfully directly sell a player abroad to bring in some cash. To supplement uh, mm-hmm. what it, it it has in its coffers, you get to the obvious reality that John Ingram is a smart business person and is seeking to run a a profitable business as well while he's paying down stadium debt. <laughs> and I don't I'm not looking <laughs> at his books right now, but I can imagine this has not been the biggest money maker yet in four years. And he he I don't I'm, I don't think he's going to you know pinch pennies and be the lowest spender in the league. We've not seen that from this team, Mm-mm. but he's going to be smart with his investment. And I think we can all respect and understand that while still saying, you know, but if you do want to bring in some guys, LAFC and Atlanta style, we're not going to yell at you for it. I think that means that consistency has to have great. Also,
1: also $7 million is like what
0: John Ingram wipes his butt with after going to the bathroom. So he's not, he's not that big of a deal. We're we're not suggesting that he's struggling here but he doesn't have the coffers of an LA or an Atlanta at this point. And he's going to be smarter perhaps than, than those groups are putting Miami on that list now too. He's definitely smarter than Miami ownership uh, for sure. Uh, But I think that means that the perception of consistency has to be better here locally. I think that we can, we can do two things here. We can all say, and you and I are saying it, this is a disappointing end to the season and a disappointing season. We can say that while also saying, look, playoffs four straight years is not something to spit at in the league. That is, that is so parody driven that anybody outside Seattle or Red Bulls, you know, would covet, would absolutely covet. And Mm -hmm. that consistency has to mean something. And especially when you look at the proportionate investment that Nashville's making compared to other clubs. Yeah. And
1: I, I, you know, we say, okay, uh, John Ingram didn't invest enough. And I don't think it's that the, the monetary resources were not uh, available or offered. I just think it was, you're a new guy in the sports world, much less in in the major league soccer world and kind of knowing where to direct those resources and when to direct those resources, uh, knowing how to support your front office. I think we are all very impressed with, for example, Mike Jacobs' ability to um, moneyball and and get undervalued assets at really good prices. You mentioned Lucas McNaughton already. Uh, Obviously, Jacob Schaffelberg, uh, you should just go to Toronto and (laughs) and buy all their players because they're really good. They just play for a terrible team. But Um, it is a situation where I think as um, you know you get to year four, you see where the the lack of knowledge years ago kind of manifests, and I don't think it'll be a persistent issue because some of those things have been figured out. but again, you can't go back four years and figure out where you should have invested back then and do it. I think that that a lot of those issues are going to be smoothed over now, especially now that um, stadium complete, training facility complete, it can be a
0: focus on building the on-field technical product going forward. It is time to build on that foundation and consistency shouldn't be the uh, the finishing point, the hallmark. We shouldn't you know, we're not encouraging you to sit here and say, "Hey, seventh place, another playoff finish. Wow, great." But I think it does point to promise and potential. It's a it's a consistent foundation. We'll talk in a second about whether there need to be some changes to the technical staff. I, I I'll again preview my argument, which is that no, uh, not at least at the top, because I think that consistency actually should be prized. And when you have somebody that's working, even if it's not working exactly according to plan, you give him the tools to succeed and you keep that high floor intact versus erasing the floor and erasing the ceiling because you can't do one without doing the other in this league. Um, you could bring in somebody who is an ace who gets you to second the table, more likely with a set strategy that's already in place with the personnel that are in place with the foundation that's been built when you bring in a new manager, a new general manager, then you're removing that floor, you're removing that foundation, you're wiping the slate clean and as much as you might be pushing for second, you also put yourself in a vulnerable spot with a level of investment of 13th, and 12th being a very <laughs> real possibility. I don't think either of us believes that 12th or 13th is a is an even a remote possibility next year. Um, right now, I as, hope as not. I hope not. <laughs> well, and as a you know, back to our college football podcast roots here and, and true purpose as a University of Tennessee fan, I multiple times now am, uh, have become accustomed to the issue of okay, if you let go of X, who's Y going to be? <laughs> mm. How are you going to adequately? You know, fill fill that position. Unless you have a killer in mind, it really doesn't work very well for you to get rid of somebody and open the door to uncertainty. Most times, just ask uh, Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, <laughs> Jones, Jeremy Pruitt. Ne- need I go on? Thank goodness for you, Josh Heupel.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, there's something to be said for the way Nashville is built. It is built to succeed with the type of technical staff and with the type of uh, management, front office management that are in place. If mm-hmm. you tear it down, you have to tear the whole thing down and, and start over or find somebody who fits what you already have in place. And that's not true at every club. I, we've seen LAFC find success um, despite going from a 100% possession oriented Bob Bradley to basically counterattacking under Steve Tirondolo. But when you look at The way Nashville has been built, um, you know, from from roster construction through technical plan, uh, you really would have to find somebody with a a similar sort of philosophy and um, the odds of finding somebody with a similar sort of philosophy that is better or better as a coach are not necessarily uh, guarantees, to say the least. I have one and I'm not recommending
0: this because I, Prairie, huh? this, I know yep, you're going to say that's, that. the yeah. that's the one, that's the way he's <laughs> no, out of contract. It's the obvious one, yeah. He can bring in, he can bring in a different uh, type of talent, perhaps as, as he's brought in a lot of Latin American players. Uh, I, I'm not advocating that because number one, I oppose to almost everything he stands for. Uh, in terms of everybody of, hates of, him. I like. He, I, I he's look. Off. I've heard. He, I've heard from from sources in the league. He's actually a great dude, and and you know, I, people think very highly of him personally. I just. I don't like the way his teams his teams play. Not tactically, because again, there are some similarities there with Nashville. But the <laughs> cynicism with which they play, some of the antics. I, I'm not a fan. I'm not suggesting that happened. I just think it's kind of funny and a little bit ironic. Okay. I, I would never imagine it actually happening. Before we get to what's next, then, and we've touched on some of that already, let's let's try to rank rank our our blame meter here. I think you said you had a twist. You had a twist here, right?
1: No, it, okay, it was just was, it was just going into the the um, the technical staff part of it. Is that when we were bl- when we were blaming the players? Yes, the players can be the ones to blame, but there's there's a, a responsibility of the technical staff to put them in those positions. Okay. And if they continue putting them in the position and, and failing, then it's yes. On the on the moment, it's the technical uh, or it's the players' technical failing, but it's the it's the coaches
0: failing to ah, yes. continuously put them in that spot. Thank you. Okay, that got it. I think players are number one on my list here. Uh, I, I don't think that the others are blameless at, at all. I think everybody deserves no. some of this blame, but like when you when honestly, you... they're
1: they're in the order <laughs> that we talked about them: players, most technical staff, second most front office, third ownership, yeah. fourth. I think technical staff and front office, to a certain extent, you could say as a tie because bringing in Sam Surridge, you know, three weeks to a month later than a lot of other teams brought in their talisman pieces in the summer window. Um, things like uh, being unable to replace a uh, Jan Gregus that you that you send to Minnesota for for nothing, <laughs> nothing in in return uh, on field this year at least. Um, that's those are the sort of things that that kind of hamstring the technical staff, which goes to why the technical staff was maybe hamstringing the players to continue putting them in those positions. Um, John Ingram is
0: the least to blame because I don't think he's afraid to spend money. And we've seen it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And I think more, more will come. It's going to come sensibly, but it, uh, I think I, I agree. It's it's in that order for me as well. You look at the the obvious chances in front of goal missed, but you also look at things like a lack of composure late in matches. You know, Gary Smith's not the mm-hmm. one telling. Teal Bunbury to go get a red card late, (laughs) you know, or or Dan Lovitz or just to name a couple of examples here, guys didn't hang on to their veteran uh, presence or attitude when they needed to in many moments, whether it was coming back, whether it was, you know, the way they responded to opponents like Philadelphia and Orlando's antics, those things are going to be frustrating. But the front office brought in a veteran group that has strong chemistry or had strong chemistry, supposed to have strong composure. And I don't think they follow the lead of Gary Smith here. I think Gary did enough uh, in, in late in matches to, to, you know, try to keep them focused. The players just didn't stay focused. They didn't get it done. Uh, I think they're to blame. I think we'll see more changes to this group in this offseason than we've seen in any since they were formed. Uh, and not oh, yeah, ahead, with sorry. with the caveat that it's probably not players one through five on the roster. Yeah. But,
1: yeah. I just want to add one blame thing, and I know it's going to sound really kind of bratty almost, but this was a, like a profoundly unlucky team in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, every team around the country has has good luck at times and bad luck at times. It just felt like this Nashville SC team, whether it was officiating, and, and we try not to harp on officiating, or or just the the luck of the draw, whatever it was, injury luck with Leal, Zimmerman, Depew. This was as unlucky as Nashville has been in four years by a wide margin. Um, I think if you look at an average amount of luck, they are not uh the seventh seed in the playoffs. And that's something that obviously had a huge difference in terms of... I, I think we both said we would rather have them play Orlando than Columbus. I, I think we have seen with 3-1-0 losses to Orlando over the past month that we were wrong about that probably. But um, I, I do think... Um, If they just have a a typical amount of luck, it feels a lot different, even if the underlying aspects of players, technical staff, front office
0: ownership are not very different. Yeah, underachieve their XG, for instance, by four as well. Uh, That's going to swing wildly. Just look at Austin and St. Louis (laughs) as examples (laughs) of that. Uh, before we get deeper into the what's next conversation, what is next for me later this week will be a trip, of course, to ML Rose. I got to give a shout to the 8th Avenue location. I mentioned earlier, I took my my counterparts as Capital View that the Fens enjoyed very much. But actually, a couple of days before that, I was taking a car to the shop for a tire installation for an upcoming trip. And I was really happy to see that the tire shop happened to be right across from the 8th Avenue location. And uh, I went <laughs> on a Saturday. Uh, It was, uh, I guess it was the 11 o'clock window because Tennessee was playing Connecticut back when Tennessee won football games earlier this season. (laughs) And, uh, And it was, it was just such a great reminder of how awesome the place is on a football Saturday. Because I had, of course, the balls on, the one TV right in front of me, but there were multiple games on throughout the place. So you get your focus TVs on the hometown team. And yes, Tennessee is the hometown team. Sorry, Vandy fans. Uh, but uh, it, it still had plenty of other action around. It was just a great atmosphere to watch a game where you're in a place that's clean, it's nice, responsive service, not some dingy, smoky bar, but you still get the the spiritual feel of a little place where you can (laughs) dig into a game and nothing else around you matters.
1: Yeah. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, we talk about how it's a great soccer bar all the time. And and now that Nashville SC at least is, is done for the soccer year. It is a place that you can go year round. Uh, they do not, they do not (laughs) open and close with Nashville SC season. Um, you can, you can almost certainly still go there and watch the remainder of MLS cup playoffs. You might have to ask for it now that, now that Nashville is no longer playing, but, um, we make no secret of the fact that we're both huge college football fans. I have watched, uh, I don't want to say too many, but I have watched very many college football games at ML Rose. And um, I do not go to surround myself in a, in a sea of orange. Although I must you admit, should. I often find myself, I, I often find myself in that situation nonetheless, but it is a great place to watch sporting events of all varieties on NFL Sunday. They're going to have a ton of, of games on there too. It is, it is honestly, it's, its we talk about it primarily as a sports rock because we're a sports podcast, but um, it's, for seven days a week, you will find something to enjoy there. And, and off, more often than not, from our perspective, it's it's a great sporting event and a great atmosphere.
0: And maybe it's a testament, too, to my faith in the place that it's not just a place that I go on game days, but, but that it was a place, again, that I was compelled to take colleagues from Finland. Like, here is your first meal in the United States. And by the way, I don't get commissioned to take people to tomorrow's. And I'm, I'm paying for these meals right well in this case my company paid but it's not like we get like a gift card you know in perpetuity that's like go oh, eat for free like we're paying our own money to do this giving back some of that sponsorship cash and in this case it was because i wanted my colleagues to understand a, a great american sports bar with really good food and uh, you know if they made me look bad that would have sucked <laughs> like oh man you're a bad <laughs> tour guide we're not trusting you the rest of the trip to a to a person they were very excited about everything and mystified by the way by one thing Tim. Uh, you've, you've done a good bit of traveling too. So you'll know, um, free refills on soft drinks, not a thing, pretty much anywhere else, uh, outside the United States, the fins were mystified. Like what, what a second, a second song. I didn't order this, What? what, is, what if I want to <laughs> order something different? Like they were taking it back in a good way. Like, Oh, you, unlimited unlimited. Like, I, I don't know if you can get drunk on, on Coke, Coca-Cola, but I think my colleagues <laughs> tried. They would have had you been able to, because they were like, "Oh, free refills, let's go!" The fountain, the fountain is, is never ending. It was great. Un- unlimited hard drinks would be
1: quite, <laughs> quite the uh, to the attempted that. business strategy there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's that's very funny. I like it. <laughs> thank yeah. you ml rose for giving the Finns uh way too much caffeine i appreciate that it was probably really fun for we really, they really
0: needed it too they were shit like <laughs> eight hour time difference they were a little bit giddy but it was uh they they seemed drunk even though most of them were just sipping caffeine <laughs> uh, it was it was awesome ml rose approved yes even by those from finland tamo pookie pookie come on down um all right so let's talk about what's next for nashville then i think we both set the stage for the argument that Gary Smith needs to be the manager moving forward. Yes.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, unless you find somebody who fits within the the overall ecosystem that Nashville SC has set because it is a, um, a somewhat uh, specific ecosystem, you, you got to find somebody who's who's better and fits within that ecosystem. We both mentioned Oscar Perejas, somewhat serious, somewhat, somewhat jokingly, but you need to have a, a
0: Gary Smith or a better version of Gary Smith to succeed the way this club is set up right now. Ask the Colorado Rapids who did that exact thing. Uh, Funny enough, Gary, uh, Brayhawk came in for Gary Smith (laughs) after he was let go again. Neither of us advocating for that in this, in this case, it would be a funny fit, but Gary's the guy. He needs to be the guy. He has the institutional knowledge. He has the fit with the strategy of this club. But Tim, I think the other part that, that I can say with confidence that you probably agree is again, if you have a guy you think is the right fit and he has not achieved to date, at a championship level you give him the tools to succeed those tools players obviously the most obvious one what positions do you think are most in need of upgrade here
1: yeah upgrade is is maybe a loaded term but i think yeah.
0: new 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 blood for sure, sure central yeah.
1: midfield you have very good players but they are guys who are either older and Dax McCarty and Ani Um, We unfortunately have seen some of the limitations of Sean Davis that, that we didn't anticipate. We were stumping for him so hard a couple off seasons ago to join Nashville SC and then it happened. We looked smart for a while and, and now you're seeing some of the limitations when you don't get perfect play from his compatriots. The limitations of Brian and Nunga are the same. We, we love him despite his limitations, but they are limitations nonetheless. Central midfield has got to be number one. Then I think you probably need to add a, uh, I don't want to say another Jacob Schaffelberger, Fafa Pico type player, because they are very similar to each other, but in ways that um, uh, are are very specific, you need more wing depth though, especially if you don't have a healthy Randall layoff, you need to be able to play those guys together and then be able to to sub one of them off and not say, oh God, what do we (laughs) do? What do we do now? Because the guy that we were going to sub in for him is playing on the other wing. You need more depth at that position and then uh, I don't think you need more depth um, necessarily at goalkeeper. It'll be interesting to see where Joe Willis stands with this club. We saw Elliot Panico get his biggest run out as the backup slash with a chance to play um, some starters minutes. Does Joe Willis continue as the starter? Is Elliot Panico the starter with Willis backing up, or is it potentially Panico or Willis with a new backup? I think that's something that you would really have to keep in mind. And then I'm continuing to add depth at center back. You can potentially do that by doing absolutely nothing if Nick DePew is healthy for next year. Um that, that's similar to it's a couple other spots, including potentially a winger with with a hopefully healthy layall. Um, I think at striker you don't need a ton more um unless you want to upgrade on your number two guy who is Teal bunbury now. Um we like Teal, but you can upgrade on him even as your number two guy. Sam surge is going to be the number one guy and get um the lion's share of the minutes, the lion share of the opportunities. So I don't think you need to go out and look for a starting striker, but you can add depth and quality there. And that's something that Nashville will probably need to do. Even if it's a number three guy, I think if you say, okay, Bunbury's back, but... Um, no more Ethan Zubak, for example. Um, I think Nashville would probably say, Adem Sipic, come in You're you're the new number three guy. But um, I think there's a possibility that you can continue to add
0: quality depth there too as you continue to groom Sipic to be, have a big role in the future. Yeah, and I don't think most clubs are successful in continuing to be consistent when they totally blow up their course. You know, you, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a rebuilding move, and I don't think this club needs to rebuild. But I think this core will evolve more than it ever has. And I also look, in addition to what you've said, at maybe, maybe left back as a spot where Dan Lovitz has been commendable in his time with this club. I think he probably had his, his, you know, worst year of of his four with this team. You look at his heights in 2021 Mm -hmm. and part of 22. And at this point, I think the precision is not quite what it has been again, not wanting to make any of these things personal, but trying to just look at, at how players have, have fit what they've been asked to do. Uh, I think, Maybe there's a chance there to go into the coffers to bring somebody in who's really dynamic, who fits what Shaq Moore does on the other side of things. Um, I just wonder. This is where again I think Mike Jacobs thrives. Is look, Joey Skinner is probably not ready yet at that spot, right? I think he he didn't mm-hmm. quite have the time in Huntsville. You know, he needs at least another year to develop out of the college draft, which is a bummer as a as a first round draft pick. But Mike is great at digging into clubs with surplus resources and finding a gem here and, and bringing somebody in. And I think left back's a spot where you could consider doing that in addition to what you've mentioned. And central midfield's tough, man. Dax McCarty is, from my understanding, out of contract, um, mm-hmm. perhaps with an option. Uh, can, can look yeah, that keep up. talking and I'll look at that real quick. Yeah. Sorry. I shouldn't have put, <laughs> <laughs> put us both on the spot there. But he has said (laughs) publicly, he said after the Orlando match, the future for him is unclear. So regardless of his contract situation, quote unquote, unclear future out of contract, out of contract. So Nashville's
1: let's just let's just read through it. We'll do do a hot team winner episode in a couple weeks. But uh, Nashville's players who are who are ending contracts this year are Teal Bunbury. Nashville has an option. Nick Depew. Nashville has an option. Jan Craigouche, Nashville has an option, although he obviously is with Minnesota now um dan lovitz nashville has an option dax and fafa are both out of contract nashville will have to come to new contract terms with them taylor washington has an option and ethan zubak has a club option so those are your guys that are um not guaranteed to be back next year Uh, the rest of them are are under contract so i I guess i thought willis was an option guys that explains that uh
0: answers a lot of the questions that i had a moment ago but um those are your guys there so you can i mean i think we will break all this down as we, as we go. And honestly, hot Tim winter is my favorite time of year, even more than breaking down (laughs) the matches as much as I love watching. It better be yours. If it's not yours, we're going to have a conversation. But you know, I, I, I think that Lovitz is a guy who you could, you could say, Hey, look, you're always part of the fabric of this team based on what you've done. We appreciate you, but, but it's time to maybe find a place to evolve there. Dax, I think had, had a way better year this year than last but obviously, you know, time is limited with him and it could be a natural inflection point for him to go finish his career. Maybe he finishes as a Red Bull and has a tribute season there. He's got a home here that he loves. And and I, at least I think it seems his family is very rooted here. And, and perhaps this is home forever. And he moves into a, uh, an Apple TV chair if he wants it. Uh, I think. I, I, would, I would not be surprised to see him back. I wouldn't be surprised to see him yeah. move on. Either way, it's time to really earnestly continue that evolution and find a number eight that can come in. A number eight with the yeah. vision that Sean Davis could continue to be a fixture here because I think he should be. I think he's yeah. still a potential future captain for this team, depending mm-hmm. on where Walker goes, uh, if he ever goes anywhere. And yeah, I think I think Dax and Ball. I wouldn't be surprised to see either uh, not back with this team next year and Dax leaves Dax leaves only on his own terms yes Uh, he may leave on his own terms but he leaves only on his own terms for sure agreed totally agreed. he's earned he's earned the right to get a fair deal a fair offer from from Nashville to continue here in Music City for another season if he wants and uh, I'm not suggesting he's going to get moved uh, only that he would choose choose to do that Uh, any any other roster notes here as we talk about areas in need of either evolution or or just wiping the slate clean
1: yeah, we we brushed past um uh, technical staff because we both believe that Gary Smith should be back. I wonder if you can um I Steve Guppy, I think, has been a godsend. And unfortunately his um his skill set was potentially wasted by not playing with wingers this year to a certain extent. Some guys yeah. did not have the opportunity to to do some of the one-on-one take-ons that like, he is so, so good at teaching. But when you look at um a guy like Kosuke Kimura, who we we loved as a player for Nashville SC, and we think he's a very good dude. Can he, can he have a, 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 role in the club that is not um, uh, taking up one of your, uh, a lot of assistant coach positions, which is what he was doing previously as well. I think we saw that Gary Smith can, can coach the defensive solidity, um, with or without Kosuke Kamura. And that's not to say that Kosuke Kamura was not adding something here. It's just a matter of if you have unlimited resources to spend, can you get an upgrade on your coaching staff that can upgrade multiple positions in terms of what they're being, um, drilled, uh, in the uh, on the training pitch or whatever, is that something that you can do? And and again, I'm not advocating for ghost kid to lose his job far from it. Just saying that that is one spot where you say, okay, we don't know what he provided. It it was pretty much more of the same, which is decent because he's a defensive coach and the defense was awesome this year, but if you had unlimited resources, could you go out and get Pep Guardiola to be Gary Smith's second assistant or whatever? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that sounds good. I, Steve Guppy is a fixture. And I think one thing I've learned is I've done some work in the, you know, the college soccer community here in town as well and talk with those in the youth systems. Steve Guppy is, is not just a fixture with this club, but in Nashville. And so what I want, here's what I want long term, Tim. I don't want Steve Guppy to leave this club unless Nashville gets an NWSL team and he's the manager. Steve Guppy, future manager of the Nashville, whatever you want to call him, maybe it's Nashville, you know, Nashville SC the Notes, in the, the Nashville Notes, Nashville Notes. There you go. Nothing, yeah, would, strike a nice tone, if you will. Hey, it could hey. be Nashville Courts. Who knows. Oh, all right. Oh, we'll we'll workshop it. Uh, I, yeah, Guppy's got to stay, but but I think I, I could see some evolution there. I could see bringing in somebody with some some new ideas, but only if you are able to find a place in the organization right. for a guy like Kosuke who has been invaluable. And when you have an academy, when you have a Huntsville, when you have you know a lot of other, and, I mean, mm-hmm. Koskei.
1: A- came from the U. Fifteens, I want to say he was involved yeah. at, at various parts of the club, but he had been the head
0: coach of one of the right. So there's there's potential here. I, I think that that will need to be addressed to try to bring in some new ideas. Uh, I think I think mm-hmm. Nashville could benefit from that because, Tim, you could make a very fair argument that this is going to be the most challenging Nashville SC campaign yet in year five. Expectations are going to be to improve on seventh place to get past the first round of the playoffs. But also you have CONCACAF Champions Cup C-cubed. No, we're not going to go with that no, term. Not that and we have seen... Calf Champions League almost exclusively decimate teams in league in the league in the first half of the season there are exceptions mm-hmm. to that for teams who have been incredibly deep but this is going to be Nashville's or teams sport. who have or teams who have uh, used their depth to completely it and
1: not saying any specific names but sporting <laughs> Kansas City <laughs> yes we <We've, laughs> which honestly honestly if Nashville did that I wouldn't be upset you are developing yeah. some of your young players and and giving them in, invaluable time and i Nashville next year is not going to be in a position to mail in the regular season in a way that like yeah. an LAFC has done in the past when they've, uh, you know, not had quite the um, the depth to to rebound right away. We saw it doom Philly a little bit uh, in the past too. Nashville doesn't have the same sort of depth organizationally or on the first team that those sorts of clubs do. It wouldn't bother me to say, okay, let's build some organizational venom and play a bunch of kids in, in a competition like that. Not exclusively the kids. Go out there and try to win, but try to win by mixing in heavy doses of youth. I say they should have done it in Leagues Cup, you may recall. They did not. So uh it would be it would out. be interesting for Nashville to really kind of lean into the okay, we now need to develop. We have been a club that has relied upon developed talent um talent that has developed elsewhere whether that's sometimes in college uh, in the case of jack Mayer and alistair johnston um whether there's guys who have developed elsewhere and then we just know there are known quantities within major league soccer lucas mcnaughton um would be a weird one because he didn't seem like he he was a fully finished product when he was at toronto fc but he's a good example Mm -hmm. you get players that other guys have developed and you say okay now we just plug you into our system and it works great because we know exactly what we're looking for and we know what you provide at this level i'd love to see nashville you know, swing the teeter-totter the other way and try to
0: get a little bit uh, of the development under its own way. I don't mind that. I I think it would be really kind of a bummer to see Nashville go. It would be. It
1: would be. But from an organizational perspective, it would probably be worth it as long as they as long as they aren't completely melting. And if they're trying to win,
0: even with a a heavy, heavy dose of youth, it's worth it to me. Well, and there are more teams. There are 32 teams that are going to be in. So in theory, at least you have a first round opponent who's probably not great. Not that that always matters. I mean, Austin went to Haiti and and lost, you know, or not in Haiti, but against a Haitian team. You know what I mean? You can, you can play that depth in early, in at least an early round and at least Mm -hmm. at home trust, you can come out with a result. Gary's been in this before. He played in CONCACAF Champions League, of course, the year after winning MLS cup, Um, not suggesting his approach then would reflect his approach now, but he didn't even travel to one of the road matches, Um, He put an assistant in charge, which was not a popular move in Colorado at the time. Uh, Not suggesting again that this situation. Just don't
1: (laughs) lose to (laughs) Violet.
0: No, don't do that. Whatever you do. But was that in the Dominican Republic or Panama? I don't remember. It was played. I think it was played in the in Santo Domingo. And Violet had to come across from Haiti to do it. It was in Hispaniola still, um, but it was not in Haiti. It was in Santiago, Dominican Republic. Yeah, good times
1: i'm just googling things i show santiago I or enjoy. santo domingo santiago dominican
0: republic wow. so i assume they it's a suburb i didn't know they had a santiago. santo domingo nice okay great we're learning things yeah. uh i, I think i saint, will... saint joseph santiago i think so continue sure <laughs> just go sure. Talk. we'll <laughs> go with that all i know is a uh, benito santiago was a catcher for the Padres for a long time. And he didn't wear the number nine because the strap on his catching gear blocked the whole number. He wore zero nine so that you could see that he was number nine. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, we have we have um, digressed. We've gone so, off the rails. a little bit. Mark Richt has lost control of the podcast. <laughs> a little bit. But, but I, I think I'll say this with full confidence. Nashville will not, will not next year finish in both the top four of the Eastern Conference and make the semifinals of CCC. They won't do yeah, that. That's fair. You yeah. have to choose. And th- both either one will be a very nice performance next year. Both will not happen. They're going to have to choose. The only
1: way, the only way it happens is if they ride youth and get lucky in the early rounds sure. of CONCACAF and then can play only the semis and finals, for example, with the senior team, Yeah, a, a full senior team. It would be so.
0: extraordinarily, extraordinarily difficult. It would be, it would take, it would take the opposite of the luck that they had this year. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to dive deeper into all this, by the way, as hot Tim winner, uh begins and uh, we will get way deeper into the objectives for this team specific position areas more reflection of course on this year as well as much as you guys will tolerate that and it will also open up to to your questions here soon as well and have a mailbag episode where we can go more directly where you guys want to go and things we didn't cover here today tim before we close let's briefly go outside in first round of the playoffs now um complete and uh boy it was it was fun um it was a a lot of fun the 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 elimination being being three games your thoughts on on that and and how that setup worked didn't work versus having one-offs in the first round yeah i think from a, a television
1: perspective it's it's better and that's i don't think there's a mystery that that's why they did it apple wanted more inventory and they wanted more excitement for first round games uh, the fact that you can go out and lose five zero and then win five or one zero and the the series is dead level there is no advantage to that five you, you aren't in too big of a hole to ever come back from from that five zero loss is a big part of it um if you uh, lose one zero in the first game unfortunately you can also lose one zero in the second game and be done as well but um, i think it's from a from an entertainment perspective it's good I don't like it from a sporting perspective I am fully aware that that is not the greatest concern for the the decision makers in charge. So that that just is what it's going to be. I I think it means that you have extended the, the calendar length of the season. And that means the calendar length for teams that do not play other than like the Miami and NYCFC friendly. I think you, what you want to do is get either as many teams involved in the playoffs as, as is possible, which is obviously always been an MLS uh, priority, but you want to do it in such a way that it, That you aren't extending the season for those that don't make the playoff or extending the offseason, excuse me, for the teams that don't make the playoffs. And I think this is kind of the worst of both worlds to have those three game Mm -hmm. uh, three game series in the first round. Uh, Again, from a television perspective, I think they knocked it out of the park. I think it does make it easy if you are a team or a fan of a team who didn't make the first round of the playoffs or who lost in two games in the first round of the playoffs. I'm hearing reports that many of our listeners may fall into that category. <laughs> it's kind of demotivating to watch future rounds, too, in a way that mm-hmm. one-offs, you still can feel the excitement because your team lost one game. Okay, we're, we're out, but I'm still excited about soccer. I think it's going to be really easy for Nashville C fans to say, I do not care what LAFC and Seattle do. I do not care about you know some of these other teams. And that, that is not going to be a universal feeling, but I do think it it can really be damaging to the uh, subsequent round of the playoffs. And I hope it I hope it is not. I'm still going to watch, but it does feel like in a way that it's going to kind of make for, for a worse TV product for the single elimination rounds.
0: Yeah, seven of eight favorites won. And so I think I look at the, the three of the four matchups. <laughs> who's the one, who's
1: the one who didn't though? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, the one you called in what, May? <laughs> that this yeah, is just not yeah. as good a team as the numbers were saying. Uh, it, it proved to be correct. And I gave you some love. That's fun. St. Louis sorry, City, yeah. everyone, for those who haven't been paying close enough. <laughs> yes, you got it. So that soccer is going to be really in Orlando, Columbus, Cincinnati, Philadelphia is the, the best possible timeline, I think, not for Nashville fans, but for neutrals in the Eastern Conference. Houston, SKC. OK, whatever. But Seattle, LAFC going to be compelling. But, you know, the 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 problem with some championships, I, I go back to like any fantasy league I've ever been in. If I make the final, which is rare, nobody cares anymore because their team's done when there's not when, when there's so much space between rounds. I mean, we're waiting now till after Thanksgiving for for this round of eight. The first round took 17 days to complete. And so, you know, while some teams are giving their second end of season press conference and making their roster decisions, we're still at press time here, 12 days away from the start. Of the round of eight, I know international yeah. schedules are what they are, and so that's going to be challenging. But the the space there is just so vast. I I love the the sporting actually uh, implications of of what's happened. I enjoyed the way teams played. I enjoyed having multiple rounds of penalty kicks after these matches, and uh, I I thought things were more open than they could have been, except for Nashville. But the gap. The gap is just yeah. so vast, and you touch on that. The scheduling just has to be. Yeah, in some of the, some of the scheduling is is specific to this
1: year because uh, matches are still being pushed back because there was a winter wor- or from COVID. I should be specific because there was a winter World Cup back in December, um, because this was the first year of a, a an every team leagues cup that I I, I don't think they're going to completely pause the season in future years. Um, you see that uh the calendar got compressed and they had to push it back a little bit that means you're inserting more international breaks in between parts of your playoffs and it also means that you are waiting until after a holiday like thanksgiving i hope in future years that they see uh, honestly my hope is that in future years mls realizes we need to have the season done by the november international break because that Mm -hmm. is uh when people in this country start caring pretty much exclusively about football and then you have basketball getting going too It, it really just kind of uh, compromises the amount of of bandwidth that people have for what is very few people's number one sport. And so I I hope the league kind of sees the wisdom in that. I know they don't want to have a really long off season, so there are other ways to kind of compensate for some of that. But um, hopefully uh, this is a a one-year blip because of kind of some of these unique circumstances of the Winter World Cup in Qatar because of uh, the the
0: month-plus-long League's Cup as well. But one thing I know, Cup, Champions League Cup less than 90 days away for Nashville SC. Can't wait to dive into the offseason as we still profile. What else is happening around the league? Tim, any final thoughts that you want to leave with before we split today?
1: No, nope, uh, just that I know, it, I know it sucks to see your team go out, but uh, I th- I still think um, in, in the world of pro sports, it's such a different thing than college sports, which we talk incessantly about how we, how we pay a lot of attention to. Uh, being being quite good is is good it doesn't mean it's good enough in any given year but don't uh don't feel the urge to throw the baby out with the bathwater i guess this is uh, a thought that i'll have people uh mull
0: over while they come up with their no bad questions for our next episode i think that's really good i think that's really good and saying that on twitter in the wake of a season-ending defeat proved to be spitting into women, <laughs> as I expected it might be. Uh, but but I think that perspective, as as cooler heads start to prevail, is is one to keep in mind. That What do you lose? What do you lose when you remove not just possibly the ceiling, but, but certainly the floor as well? Uh, thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship and for feeding my Finnish colleagues uh, who uh, have, I think, two nights left in town. So we'll see. I bet they're going to want to go back. Uh, thanks to uh, to 440 Sports for giving us the microphone. Uh, we encourage you again if you like the show or even if you strongly disagree with our opinions but, but don't mind our process or are listening to those opinions at this point in the episode. Uh, hop on Apple Podcasts and, and give us a quick rating and a review and that helps other people, of course, find the show so we can grow the dialogue of this community and uh, you can get more like-minded people with you disagreeing with us (laughs) so that you can you can show it to us Um, thanks to moon taxi for the great music at the beginning and the end of every show and uh, thanks again for listening we will talk to you very soon